And the first thing to do is, is just to remind you where we're at. If you haven't been here all the way through our, our series in Colossians, we're going through this, um, this letter from Paul to the, the church at Colossae bit by bit. Um, and, uh, and, and it's shown us that Christianity is really simple. Uh, we tend to make it really complicated, but actually it's, it's so, so simple. It's just about getting to know Jesus better in the Bible and then letting that change your life. Yeah, that's pretty simple, isn't it? And the reason is because uh, Jesus is everything we need. Uh, we need nothing else. And we must not uh, add anything else uh, to him. Children, there's some gospel maths on your booklets. Um, I haven't put it on, um, on, on the flip chart this week. As you have to work it out yourselves. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Thank you. And Jesus plus what equals everything? Nothing. Brilliant. And children, fill that in. Uh, grown-ups, you'll just have to remember it, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, last week, we saw what, what that means for what Christian believers no longer do. And this week shows us, this week's passage shows us Uh, what that means, what having Jesus means Christians uh, do do, positively. And what does it look like to put the gospel into practice? What what would it look like for someone to believe the gospel deep down uh, in terms of the types of things they do and say? And and the first thing is is there in verses 12 to 14, uh, simply love one another because of the gospel. Uh, The the starting point, did you notice, Uh, even amongst all of these commands, uh, is gospel truth. Did you notice that at the beginning of verse 12? Uh, Therefore, uh, because of this, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with dot dot dot. Those aren't wasted words, like kind of uh, easing into some commands. Uh, this is the, the kind of the powerhouse that, that drives uh, all of this living. They, they are uh, the, the kind of explanation that helps us understand what this living really looks like. And God's uh, people, those who've been rescued by Jesus, those who uh, believe in him, are holy and dearly loved. And it's once we understand that more and more, uh, then... Uh, the things that we used to do won't, won't make sense to us anymore. We won't want to do them. And, and we'll start doing new things. We'll start living in, in a new sort of way. So, and what does it look like? Uh, as God's cho- chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against, one, against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love love is a summary of all these things. And what what do they really mean? Well, let let me share with you one that's particularly uh, challenged me uh, as I've been thinking about this passage. Um, uh, Well, it's it's said in a couple of different ways. Um, And and that is compassion and kindness. As opposed to uh, last week where where we were told um, to, to take off a greed. A greed uh, means uh, always trying to get more for ourselves, uh, trying to uh, satisfy all of my desires, make my life 
as easy and as pleasant as possible. Compassion and kindness are, are to do with caring about other people, feeling what they feel. So if someone else is sad, feeling that sadness. If someone else is happy, feeling that happiness. Uh, having our lives bound up with other people and not just ourselves. And kindness is, is being, being generous to other people, giving stuff up for, for their sake. So uh, the command is to, to get rid of greed and to be compassionate and, and kind. But I already knew that, so how, how does this help me to do that? Well, I, th- I think, again, we think about what it means to be God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, special to him, chosen deliberately by him, dearly loved. If I believe that then I'll no longer need to worry about trying to get everything that I want, trying to grasp at the things that I think will make me happy. Because if God loves me so much, if I'm so special uh, to him, then I can trust him to look after me, to give me what is good, to not leave anything out. And so I I can begin to forget about myself, because I know he's got me. And I can begin to care about other people. To have compassion on others, to feel their pain, take their burdens, uh, to, to, to show other people kindness rather than reserving all my good things for myself. So, do you see, if, if I want to be less self-obsessed, less greedy, and to be more other-person-focused, more compassionate, more kind, then, then what I really need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't happen automatically does it? Uh, there is a command here. It's not, again, it's not wasted words. We need to be told. Uh, we need to, to work through the implications of the gospel for our lives. We need to work at getting to know Jesus better and letting that reshape our, our attitudes, our relationships and our lives. And it's the same, isn't it, as we carry on, when other people wrong us or annoy us. So our anger and slander replaced by humility, gentleness, patience, rage replaced by bearing with others, forgiving others. Not because we're trying really hard to make God happy. These are just the things that, that we ought to do, so we buckle up and do them. No, because the gospel itself means that those are the only things that make sense. It's worth um, noticing, by the way, as we think about um, these commands about what to do when other people wrong us or annoy us, that the expectation, biblically, not just in Colossians, but throughout the whole New Testament, is that churches will be full of people who are annoying and wronging each other. Sometimes we get the impression that, that church should always be easy, that relationships should always be smooth. Uh, but no, the, the expectation biblically is that there will be wrongs to forgive and annoyances to bear with, uh, both from other people and, and from, well, me. And that should be our expectation uh, too. That, that's always the case, by the way, when relationships get close. And our, our vision as a church is to be elbow deep in one another's lives. Uh, as well as the lives of those around us. And that will result in friction. 
Uh, the closer you get, the more friction there is. Uh, that's okay. The, the, the issue is how do we respond to that? Uh, do we bear with and forgive? And, and if we're struggling to do that, and, and I imagine all of us in some way are struggling to do that, perhaps there's, there's something that springs to mind in terms of a, a wrong that is unforgiven in your heart, or, or a need that you have for forgiveness. Well, how do we do that? Again, it's not just try harder. That's not what I'm telling you to do. It's turn to the gospel of grace for help. It's Jesus who you need to help you. Where It's the gospel that will humble us as we're able to admit that we aren't what we ought to be. <coughs> that God needs to do a massive work in me. And so I'll expect to have wronged people. And I'll expect other people to wrong me as well. And it's the gospel that, that lifts us up as well. That gives us the security and confidence and joy that enables us to look at others and, and forgive them. To take that, that, that cost of their wrong on ourselves rather than making them pay it. Because we have someone who has been so generous. that The, the love that's overflowed uh, towards us. So do you see, this um, loving one another, it is just the gospel working itself out in practice. Uh, By the way, isn't this a wonderful thing, Uh, a wonderful advert for the Christian life? If if you believe what Jesus has done for you, it will make you into this sort of a person, Uh, bit by bit by bit. It'll It'll take a whole lifetime to do But this is the type of life that that we look forward to. This is what we will be if we're Christian believers. Uh, The gospel itself will make us uh, love one another. And so, verses 15 to 17, we're to put the gospel at the centre. That's our second big point today. Put the gospel at the centre. At the centre of our lives, verse 15, our communities, verse 16, and our priorities, verse 17. Uh, Have a look back down, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. Again, this isn't anything new. This is the gospel. What do we do when we believe the gospel? Well, it it becomes the the best thing in the world for us. Did you notice those uh, three different uh, contexts, the centre of our lives, our communities, our our priorities, are each accompanied with thanksgiving. Uh, We're we're so overjoyed at at, at what God has done for us that that we, we just want to give thanks in every way as we share the gospel uh, in, in our lives, our communities, and our, our, our priorities. You see, if, if, um, if Jesus is the one who is everything, who can bring us everything, and it is his words in the Bible by which we know him and receive everything, then, of course, we need his words deep inside us, controlling us individually, and among us, controlling us as a community. And when, when, um, when this talks about the peace of Christ, by the way, it, it's not fundamentally talking about a sense of peace or peacefulness. Uh, it's, it's talking about 
um, the harmony and rightness that, that Christ has brought to us between us and God and between us and, and, and each other. Uh, let that, that peace, that, that, that gospel, an end to conflict with God, an end to conflict with one another, let that rule our lives. So um, uh, we, we no longer try and get, get our way. We work in harmony with one another, helping one another, doing things together, doing life uh, together. And it's been a joy to me to see that happening. Uh, amongst the, the members of Grace Church over the last uh, four months, um, particularly, you know, m- most of whom only really started to get to know each other properly four months ago when we started uh, meeting on Sundays. Uh, I've got to be, um, I've got to say, I, I, I'm, um, I'm really encouraged, uh, not just because it'll be a great help to me personally, but, but by how many have said uh, they want to come and, and help us out when we move house this week. Uh, not, as I say, because it, it'll be really helpful to us, which, which it will be, but because there's this idea of uh, doing this together, uh, this idea of uh, a shared life, that, that, that implication of the gospel controlling uh, the decisions that people are making. But verse uh, 16 gives us um, a lofty ambition for, for um, our, our life together. Verse 16. Uh, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The gospel not only inside our hearts as individuals, but, but filling our relationships, as it were, filling the, the space in between us, uh, bringing us together. The gospel does that the more we speak the gospel to one another. Uh, here particularly, singing the, the, the gospel to one another. Paul thinks that singing isn't uh, just a bunch of us individually uh, praising God out of gratitude, it is that. But it, it's also teaching and warning one another. It's, it's communicating the gospel individually, each of us, to one another. That's uh, uh, such a big part of, um, of church life. Because Paul, Paul puts it so highly here, and the Bible does elsewhere, Because it's a way that we can all join in in speaking the truth to one another when we gather. That, by the way, is why we set up our our chairs so oddly at Grace Church. Because church is not primarily about what someone at the front does to you. It's not like a performance or something like that. It, It is us drawing together, encouraging one another. Have a look at, at, at the other people in this room. If you're a Christian believer, the, the purpose of you coming here is to uh, encourage and be encouraged, to teach and admonish one another as we receive his word together, as we share uh, the Lord's Supper together, as we will later. It's why when we pass around the Lord's Supper, we want to um, share words of encouragement about the gospel with one another, not just from the front, but, but as we pass the bread and the wine, we encourage you to say... Uh, the, the body of Christ was broken for you. Remind one another of the gospel. Do you see? It's why occasionally from the front, we're, when, we, when we're about to sing a song, we, we encourage you to, to sing out with all your uh, strength. Uh, because uh, it's not just about it, it it's sounding brilliant. And, and the band, they do sound brilliant. It, and lots of us, I'm afraid, you know, <laughs> speaking for myself, we, we don't sound that brilliant when we sing. Um, but it's great to sing out, to sing loudly. Because we're, we're singing to one another. 
And so we want to hear one another. There's something really powerful about the gospel being communicated by, by all of the people here who trust in Jesus to all of the people here. That's why the words of our songs are so carefully selected. And we think quite hard about every song that we pick to sing. That it not only will pass the bar of correctness, but, but it will be uh, rich and nourishing in its truths that we communicate to one another. That it will help us believe the gospel, live the gospel. The word sheets um, are, are there partly so that we can know what to say, but partly so you can take them home and chew over the things that we... Uh, have sung and said. I, 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 we have, Alison and I have some old friends who used to stick up their kind of uh, song sheets from church all over the bathroom wall. The whole bathroom wall was covered with them. So they'd sing them with the kids in the bar. If um, the space between us is filled with uh, gospel truth, it will draw us together uh, into a family. If we um, talk about Jesus with one another, weird as it might feel to start with, we'll feel ourselves bound up with one another, uh, encouraged and helped. And we'll serve one another's best interests by, by pointing one another to the gospel. And so even, even more broadly, verse 17, whatever you do, this is pretty broad, isn't it? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. Not just Sunday meetings, but, but all the time. Now, um, let me get a flip job. I'm aware that you won't be able to see this perfectly, but um, do your best. You can move around if you want to. Um, children, you have a picture of this in your um, uh, booklets as well. Uh, can, um, can some of you see this? Let me explain. Let, uh, let me introduce you to, to, to my friend Pizza Man. Um, children, if you want to come and live, you can. Um, this is Pizza Man. This is a, a representative... A person, um, uh, and his life is divided up into, into different categories. You may not be able to see what they are, but, but time for sleep, time for work, time for uh, eating and drinking, time for hobbies, time for chores. And, and because Peter Mann um, has become a, a, a Christian, uh, some of his time is uh, for Jesus. And so um, uh, he really wants to grow as a Christian, and he thinks what that means is he needs to increase the size of his Christian stuff. What do you see? Can everyone see that? Um, now, I applaud Pizza Man, well done Pizza Man, for wanting to, to grow as a Christian. The problem is that way of trying to grow is just doing religion. Here are some things that, that I do for Jesus. And we've been seeing in Colossians that that's just adding stuff to Jesus. It's not going to help anyone. In fact, if he carries on down that road, he'll stop being a Christian. Because the truth is actually more like uh, this. And this is what Jesus wants uh, uh, life to look like. Uh, we've got sleep, we've got work, we've got food, we've got hobbies, we've got chores, we've got... Um, time to read the Bible or come to church, those sort of things we loosely label as uh, Christian activities. But, but they're not the Christian activities that Jesus wants from us. He wants all of our activities to be Christian activities. Jesus is to be at the centre of our lives. And not just one-tenth of our lives or whatever, however much time we make for reading the Bible and praying and coming to church. 
Actually, we, we, he wants us to have 100% of our, uh, of our lives devoted to him. So he controls um, all of the things that we do in our lives. And he um, uh, get, has the right to, to ask those things to be for him. That's what the gospel shows us. And, and that means that, that, that all of the different things that we do can be worship, not just when we sing. Although singing, Paul is giving us a very high view of singing. Worship is all of these things, if we have Jesus in the middle, not just when we gather as church, not just when we sing songs. Worship is if we sleep for Jesus in a way that's controlled by Jesus. At times, given to us by Jesus. Neil is cheering in the back there. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing that God has given us to see. Work is a good thing that, that, that the Bible has given us. Not just the work that I do, preparing sermons and so on, but actually work... Sweeping the streets or, or working in an office, all of that stuff. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But, but all of these different things are to be for Jesus and ruled by Jesus. That's what it means to have the gospel at the centre. Do you get it? And so that means, uh, verses eight, uh, 3 verse 18 to 4 verse 1, we're to let Christ rule our day-to-day relationships. The kind of the stuff of, of normal life. At home, at work. I guess it should be obvious to us, but so often we find it hard to let the gospel impact our closest and most normal relationships. And of course it must. Life is lived in relationships, isn't it? And different relationships are different, so we have different commands for different sorts of relationships. But this is about family relationships, the nitty-gritty um, of, of, of real life, not religion, retreating into a, a monastery or, or, or just trying to have as much time on my own, uh, on my knees before God, you know, wanting that to be the majority of every day. No, life lives in relationship with others. So if you're married, uh, that, that uh, marriage takes up an awful lot of time and uh, spending time um, uh, doing life together. And you need to think, has Christ fundamentally reshaped your attitude to marriage? By the way, if you're single, you need to think, has Christ fundamentally reshaped your attitude to singleness? But verse verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, The Bible is uh, clear that marriage is between a, a man and a woman, uh, that the, the idea of male and female is created by God and is real and is God-given, uh, and also that male and female are different. Uh, so the roles of, of, of a, a husband and a wife are to be different. I don't have time to ex- explain everything about what, what that means uh, now. Come and chat to me afterwards if you want to talk about it. But Paul's command is, um, is very brief. He, he expects being in the Lord will make a difference to, to how a wife acts towards her husband and how a husband acts towards his wife. There is a way that is fitting, that fits with the gospel, and a way that isn't. Submission means trusting, letting uh, another lead you, putting yourself into their hands. Uh, loving and not being harsh means caring about someone else's good more than your own. And not expecting more from them than they're able to achieve or to give. You see, marriages are to be grace-shaped and Christ-trusting. It's only by trusting Christ that the wife will be able to trust her husband in that way. 
It's only by being loved by Christ that a husband will be able to love his wife, uh, even if it means death in this way. And children, if you've zoned out, zone back in, please, because this bit is directly towards you. Paul hasn't forgotten you. And it's easy, isn't it, children, just to say that you love Jesus. But verse 20, loving Jesus isn't just words. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, Kids, um, God has given you parents to love you and to look after you. And um, that's because he loves you. And so you're to be careful to listen to them and do what they say. That's how your parents can love you and look after you, if you do that. And that's how God looks after you too. That's a good thing. Obedience is a good thing. And it will make life work so much better for you. Instead of uh, getting angry because you can't get your way. But parents, before you think this gives you free reign... Uh, to use your children to make your life easy and convenient and as nice as it can possibly be. Listen to verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So as parents, we're to consider, does, does our parenting look different to that of the world around us? Do we think what will encourage our children, embolden them to, to follow Jesus and to do what uh, we say as we seek to lead them in his ways? Think about it. Think what will be good for them, what they're able to do. Don't put burdens on them that are beyond what they can bear. Embittering children might mean being lazy. I know that's true for me very often. The reason that I'm um, uh, uh, overly harsh with my, with, with my children um, uh, and therefore in danger of embittering them is because I'm being lazy. Uh, ignoring the authority and responsibility that God has given me. Uh, to work for their good. You see, home life is to be radically reformed by the gospel. And so is work life. Uh, verse uh, 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Now, I know we're not slaves. In the the first century Roman Empire, the majority of work that was done was done by slaves, basically. It wasn't the same as an employer-employee relationship with with rights and and remuneration and and, and so on. But there are lessons for us to learn about uh, working life today. At first, I think it would be good for us to understand the particular issues that slaves had. Um, because uh, they, they had very little to gain from doing their work other than winning them, their, their master's favour and therefore making life better for them. So, of course, if their master wasn't watching, if there wasn't, they weren't going to notice whether they did their work well or badly, well, why would they work? Now, very surprisingly, and I know people have all sorts of issues about uh, why Paul doesn't do this, But Paul doesn't say rebel against the system. He actually says obey your masters. And even more than that, he says work when they're not work, work work when they're not watching, when you won't gain anything. Why? Well, he says because your real master is Jesus Christ. 
It's him you're working for. Do you see? If he's at the centre of your life, your work is for him, not for uh, another human being. And so a Christian slave, because they know that they've been purchased, not with a few pieces of gold, but with the blood of the Son of God himself, they have a boss that they can really get into serving, that they can really want to serve, because he loves them and he gives himself for them. Now, the same thing is actually true for any of us who are employees, if we're Christians, for a factory worker, a cleaner, a teacher, a lawyer, whatever it is. Every Christian has an owner, a master, who loves us and works for our good. And if we work for him, we can please him. I don't know if you've thought about your work that way before. And it's worth saying uh, that where slaves were tempted to underwork because of their situation, we might well be tempted to overwork. So Paul's emphasis here is, you know, work when, when your boss isn't watching because you're working for Jesus. For, for lots of people here, we might need to hear, look, you're working for Jesus. Don't let work be the only thing in your life. Don't let it stop you from doing the other things in your life that, that you have a responsibility for, for, for being, from being a good uh, uh, dad or, or, or husband or church member or um, neighbour or, or, or son or daughter or whatever else it is. And of course, for, for those with any management responsibility, the gospel transforms the way we treat those in, in our care as well. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. In the gospel, we learn how we are looked after and cared for by another. And so the more we dwell on that, the more that we will want to look after and care for those we have responsibility for, even if it means in some way having lower productivity or lower profits or worse career prospects. Or whatever. If Jesus is at the centre, if Jesus is everything for me, then he'll be everything in my work and in my home, as well as in my church, uh, my decisions and day-to-day life. If we believe the gospel, it will inevitably transform everything in our lives. It takes a bit of work to understand how and what. And, and we need one another's help in that as we think it through. <coughs> So um, why not spend a couple of minutes now uh, reflecting? There are some questions I've put on your, on your sheets to, to think about. Spend a couple of minutes reflecting on what, what it would, would look like. Thinking through what in your, li- your life, if you're following Jesus, needs to be redefined. If you're not yet following Jesus, have a think about what um, this life might look like if you were. And um, then in, in a couple of minutes, the band will come up and, um, and we'll sing a song um, of thanksgiving. That Christ has given us everything uh, that we can uh, live this new life. But have a thing together. And as you, as you think about those things, um, you might come up with some questions. Why not ask those questions of one another uh, or of me later on uh, after the formal part of church uh, is over? But a couple of minutes to think now and then the band will come up. <laughs>